Welcome to the Hex Knight Podcast. I'm David. And I remain Ivan. And tonight we're going to have another conversation about just nerd stuff we've been interested in at some point. Uh, media that got us thinking about things to do in games or wouldn't it be cool if. Um, so a little bit of a speculative episode that is grounded in something concrete, namely media. Books, movies, games, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it'll be kind of a chill conversation, um, and I will kick it off uh, with a book I just picked up, or actually, uh, it's technically a trilogy, but I managed to get like a compilation volume, which is Mercedes Lackey's Arrows trilogy. Hmm. Now, uh, Mercedes Lackey is one of those names that like I kept like she's written like a thousand books. Like I looked up her uh, bibliography, and she's just been churning out like one or two books a year for like since the seventies. So wow. there's a bit of a there's a bit of a back catalog, and it's one of those names that I kept like seeing, and I think, um, like fantasy writing tends to be like a lot of dudes, um, and I think there's a tendency of uh, sometimes maybe like dismissing fantasy written by women as being like uh, you know it's going to be about horse girls and stuff, <laughs> uh, and I like to challenge myself a little bit. So the fact that you know like. Um, she's one of the like you know like she's obviously like one of the greats of fantasy literature, and I was familiar with most of the others. You know, I've read Dragon Rider Supern, and I've read um, I can't remember the name uh, Earthsea, whatever uh, Ursula Le Guin. You uh, know? Yeah, yeah, totally. I keep I always think of her as a science fiction writer. I, I forget about her her fantasy work, but she's, yeah, she's fantastic. Done, oh, absolutely, she has an amazing like uh, mastery of language. Uh, yeah. Um, she says, yeah, I don't need, I think she's one of those like very old school people too, who just consider, I don't think she really distinguishes between fantasy and science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I think she just kind of views as like, you know, fantastic literature or whatever, but yeah, yeah. like Ur- Ursula Le Guin is amazing. Um, so yeah, uh, Mercedes Lackey was like the weird, like, uh, uh, conspicuous absence. It was just one of those things where every time like somebody would recommend a book, I would put it on a list and forget about it. So it's like, you know what? <laughs> I, I'm going to remedy it. Uh, and I found out, so she has one, like, series called Valdemar, which is named after, like, the country, uh, which is, like, 30 different books. They're basically, like, little series that all take place in the same world, but they take, mm-hmm. so each series, like, takes place in a different time with different characters. So, mm-hmm. which sounded really cool. So I picked up the very first called the Arrows Trilogy, which has three books in it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, Amazon luckily will uh, supply almost any book for you uh, for, like, a couple of bucks if you don't mind getting it used. So I did. Right. Nice. Um, so I'm only, like, uh, I feel bad doing this because I'm only, like, a third of the way through the first book of a trilogy that kicked off, like, a 30-book uh, universe. <laughs> so, so you know, you could say I have a pretty solid grasp of the whole series by now, right? <laughs> um, but it got me thinking. Uh, so, one, um, I am absolutely a sucker for like coming of age stories and especially like fantasy coming of age stories. Oh, I, sure. I could eat that shit all day. Um, but it got me thinking cause it's very much, I think it's even like kind of like a uh, part of the foundation for what people sometimes call romantic fantasy, hmm. uh, which is less about like actual romance than you might think. Um, but in a way, uh, so there's a couple of like characteristics to it. Um, and in a way it got me thinking, uh, about Tolkien, uh, because Tolkien isn't really like romantic fantasy, but a lot of stuff that is in that genre would kind of not seem all that out there. Like, uh, so a lot of times it has very, at least it'll have one like 
country or kingdom or whatever that's very kind of like idealized. They have like mm-hmm. very upstanding values. Uh, they are have some sort of organization of people who are genuinely like good and noble hearted and want to do the best for uh, their people, which mm-hmm. feels very Tolkien, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, they often have a strong focus on like uh, somebody who comes from like a place of insignificance or they're downtrodden or either because of birth or their history or their family conditions uh, and get selected or picked out um, to do great things. So they overcome their, you know, like the whole, like, I guess literally the zero to hero journey, um, which is like, that's such a key element of like traditional fantasy. So it's kind of interesting that a lot of stuff like kind of has like gone away from that, you know, like, um, you know, if you look at someone like The Witcher, he obviously was never like a zero. He starts off being like a cool badass dude. Um, so it's got it was kind of interesting. And this book was written, I think, like late seventies, early eighties. So it's literally old school. Um, but since I hadn't read it before, it felt new to me. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting of getting like a genuine zero to hero uh, story uh, in twenty twenty one for me. That was kind of a cool feeling. Um, and it also kind of just made me, it has this like, uh, like, I think nowadays the book would probably be considered young adult. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's written, it's not written in a juvenile style. Like the, the language and the prose is, is fine. It's great even. Um, but it has a bit of those tropes. Like the main character is, uh, uh, this girl who grew up in this like really oppressive, like, uh, frontier culture, uh, and where the common people are kept like really uneducated and she ends up being, and it's going to sound really silly. Uh, so just go with it. But she ends up being like selected by a magic horse to become like the, uh, the guardian of the queen. And you were just talking about <laughs> the horse girl thing. It's like, I know selected <laughs> by the magic horse. All right, Ivan. All right. So if, I, <laughs> if I wasn't a dude, I would definitely be like a horse girl. I admit it. <laughs> Horses are pretty cool. But anyway, okay, so how does this break away <laughs> from like, yay, my magic talking horse? You know, I what, know, right? what well, we expect techni- about. It doesn't technically talk. It has telepathy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and keep going. Uh, so what it got me thinking of, though, uh, and was this. Uh, you create a setting where you throw all the elves and dwarves and orcs in the bin. Get out of here. Uh, you have people, and then you have intelligent animals, and you can make them any animals you like. But each hero, for whatever reason, you come up with a contrived reason for why the heroes are heroes. Um, that's the dude mm-hmm. you play. But every hero gets to have an animal companion who's part of your character. And mm-hmm. it can be any animal sort of within reason. So you can have a bear or a wolf or an owl or whatever you want. Uh, so when you play, you have your human character and you have your, like, companion characters is called that and depending on what you are doing in that scene or that encounter or mission you can choose either of them to go so if you have to like go scouting you might send your like fox companion and you'll play as them and if you have to go like into the town you probably don't send your bear you probably just go yourself Mm -hmm. Uh, but the two characters would be uh, equal in terms. It's not like you're playing the human character and then he has an animal companion like you're literally playing two characters that are part of the same they have like you know like you give them like they have like shared personality aspects or something like that so it has like that um like uh two bodies with one soul kind of thing (laughs) um 
which I think would be really cool and interesting. And then you go like, uh, and then to double up on like the romantic fantasy aspect, you make like you put the players. We've talked before about like it's not such a bad thing to have a campaign where you're actually kind of being the heroes and fighting evil. Yeah. Um, so you set it up as that, you know, like it doesn't have to be super like black and white. You can still have people who are kind of just kind of shady around the edges or, you know, you can have some gray areas, but you have, you put the players in the role of specifically being like, at least nominally on the right side and doing the right thing. And then you send them out in the world with their animal people or uh, animal companions, like go do, go do stuff. Um, and if you want to be like really comic book, you then introduce like the evil champions who also have companions, but they're all like either evil animals or they're like demons, nymphs, and shit. Sure. Uh, so now you can have like a comic book like hero battle, right? So like cool. your human character is like fighting the dude with a sword, and meanwhile, like your fox and their like imp is uh, are fighting too. There's an aspect of this that that makes me think of like the Narnia books too, or even mm-hmm. stuff like The Wind in the Willows. And I think, especially with a lot of modern gaming, for mm-hmm. some reason that doesn't, at least in my experiences, uh, that hasn't really come up. Yeah, much, I think so. that like fairy tale vibe. That's really what it is, right? For sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of. I don't even know why. Like, if it's just like not cool. Um, like I used to love um, the Wind the Willows when I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. and like most people our age, I think read uh, you know, uh, like Watership Down and stuff. Sure. Um, which I would argue is very much a uh, a fantasy story. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it just kind of like went away. But I think absolutely like embrace the fairy tale quality of it, like half you know, like talking lakes and stuff, like just go full on like uh, like folklore magic world mm-hmm. um and that, i think that would be like really cool because uh, like say that's not really like done you know and it doesn't have to be um because i think some people might dismiss it being like oh okay that's kind of like silly uh, and it doesn't like you could you know you could tune it however you want you could have it be about like big important things you could have it just be like lighthearted adventure like that's okay too yeah uh, but yeah, like embrace the fairy tale aspects of it. You know, have the players go like, uh, you know, throw coins in a well to get like uh, magical advice or something. Have them like deal with like animal people that they have to negotiate with and meet. You know, make happy to uh, to progress in their quest or whatever. Yeah, I, there were also the Grimm's fairy tales too. So if you want to go dark mm-hmm. with that, you can bring in the wolves and have people boiled in pots and. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, it gets pretty gruesome. <laughs> yeah, or even steal from, like, a lot of, like, uh, native mythologies and stuff. Sure. Are full of, like, weird, wondrous stuff that is both amazing and horrifying. Yeah. You know, so, so you can borrow from all those things. Like, there's a lot you can do. And I think it would have a, just, like, a really cool, uh, a different kind of atmosphere, you know, that's... Uh, yeah, come to think of it, I mean, especially... I. Th- with like more of that mythology stuff, you'll have like magical life forms, like mm-hmm. sewing people back together or, or, you know, just doing like super weird kind of transformations in these oh, kind yeah, of gruesome like, ways. <laughs> yeah. Like shapeshifting and stuff like, uh, with a wolf hide or something. Sure. You yeah. Know, like you yeah. could have a, <laughs> you could even borrow, this almost becomes like a Disney villain. Uh, but you have a, uh, like, you have all the heroes with their animal companions, right? And you have a villain who is a shapeshifter, but they have to have the hide of an animal to shape 
uh, to shift into that specific form. Do you, you see where this is going already? Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, which I think is basically the plot of like 101 Dalmatians, but uh, with more magic. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, like, yeah. So just embrace the, this is part of why I would find it so interesting is, uh, you know, I'm usually pretty prone to run games that are kind of like simulation-y and kind of grounded in like a level of medieval realism. And this would be right. a good excuse to like not do that. You know, like, it's all folklore logic. It's all, like, magical logic. Like, riddles have power. Knowing somebody's name would give you power over them. You know, all stuff like that. Right, um, right. You could reach up and grab the, the sun or the moon out of the sky and leap over a lake or some craziness. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, and, like, old tales are full of, like, magic items. It's not like you have to not have cool loot. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I just think that would be really interesting. Just like a way of like you know, just kind of like letting go of some of the stuff that uh, I normally do, and just kind of embrace it. And I think it could be really fun. Yeah, I, there's a lot that could be done to create really weird, interesting atmosphere, and you, you mm-hmm. also can totally break normal plot conventions, and it just fits in like. Oh, absolutely. Wacky U-turn you want to throw at the players <laughs> because, you know. Yeah, it's uh, like uh, Fairyland logic. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that would just, yeah, that would be really fun, I think. And honestly, like being able to like watch an old Disney movie and just like steal the plot. Uh, <laughs> it would even, like if you're going to do it as a whole campaign, I would actually be tempted to like uh, dig out, you know, like uh, Cinderella and start like that, but just adapting them so it's like, you know, see if people notice it. <laughs> but th- throw away like little hints and stuff and that would gotcha. be really cool so but yeah so that was uh an unexpected turn from reading this book that is definitely for horse girls even though it's not <laughs> <laughs> it's got it sounds like it's got a bit more depth and like weight to the yeah it's one of the things and i don't mean to like shit on young adult because it's one of those things where it's just not written for like us right you know oh, and, of course and, you know, like, teenagers need stuff that's, like, written for them. That's cool. I'm not begrudging anybody. I'm just saying, like, a lot of young adult stuff, like, I've tried to read, I found, like, really... It's just not for me. That's fine. It doesn't have to be. Uh, but one of the things, like, from before, like, YA was, like, a genre, is I think that was it was a little more fluid. Um, mm-hmm. It's like reading The Hobbit, which is, in a lot of ways, a kid's story, right? Like, it has elements that are very clearly meant for children. But it's also, like, it works so well, you know, like, plenty of people read The Hobbit as an adult and really love it. Um, and I think a lot of, like, old school fantasy kind of has that where, like, it's definitely, it was aimed at, like, a younger audience at the time, but it was not restricted to a younger audience, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And I think that's something that maybe gets lost a little bit in, um, or maybe it's just because everyone is, like, so, like, uh, hyper aware of, like, the marketing, you know, like, if you're writing a book and market it as YA, it's going to be have more reads than if you just call it like regular fantasy. Right, right. And you're honing you know? in like on a specific demographic. So I, I find with like older mm-hmm. uh, older books that kind of seem uh, more oriented or geared towards younger people, mm-hmm. uh, they'll throw in like pretty adult material at, at surprising points in the stories. Like you yeah, said, it's more fluidity, fluidity, either going a bit more whimsical or like really dark at points to like mm-hmm. drive some point home. Yeah. I feel in ways that uh, 
newer YA stuff wouldn't wouldn't touch on. Yeah, or it's oh, it's like couched in like a very specific understanding that the audience uh, is expecting. I think part of it too is mm. maybe um, that audiences now also just like like it's much easier now to get immediate overwhelming feedback on anything you write. Um, so, you know, I have to imagine if you're a, uh, like science fiction author today, uh, you would be far more like aware of what your audience specifically wants than somebody who was writing in like the seventies or sixties mm. where you get letters and stuff, but that's still like filtered through, you know, like it's much more limited. So maybe oh, it's just course. a natural process of just, uh, but I think in some ways too, it's also more interesting to have stuff that's not like so specifically written for a specific like a target audience like because i like i'll admit like it, when i was a teenager um if i saw a fantasy book about like a girl and her magic horse i don't think i would have picked it up for the library right <laughs> however reading it now um i absolutely think i would have loved it because like the idea of like you know like the the kind of like overlooked kid and you know the character gets picked on and they have to prove themselves and stuff like that's you know like pretty universal stuff right oh of course yeah so I think in some ways, like, the marketing can also, like, uh, keep people away from stuff they would have enjoyed otherwise. So just, like, expectations, you know, we're all mm-hmm. we're all prone to, like, uh, we have our ideas about what we like and won't like. And, you know, like sometimes you have to, like, push yourself outside of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice thing about being older. It's just understanding that and being willing to proactively do that sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, like, it's good to, like, the last year or so, I've spent the plague uh trying to just like consume more media that i normally wouldn't have and i haven't loved all of it but it's been good i think so so all of this is to say that i am probably actually a horse girl Um, (laughs) what do you got on your uh on your mind uh you Uh, or um from a while ago it doesn't right right you know um and if it had horses in it no, nope, no horses in this one. Uh, I al- I already don't like it. This is how quickly like these things happen. <laughs> yeah, you you're just like totally obsessed. At least for the I know. Ones. I'm uh, drumming my fingers on the table here <laughs> in uh, dismay. <laughs> no, but I I generally prefer or have preferred more the zero to hero kind of story mm-hmm. and gaming scenario mm-hmm. or campaign. So I've always shied away. I, I, you know, on a few episodes, I, I've uh, griped about like power gaming sessions, mm-hmm. and one of the things that that brings to mind then, like I've never really done much uh, like superhero type gaming at all, mm-hmm. and that, I mean, it, it could be pretty cool. There, there mm-hmm. could be some really interesting things done with that. And that brings me around to my favorite comic book series, uh, The Boys. Uh, is that the is, one that got uh, like a TV adaptation recently, or is that a different? No, oh, yeah, it, it it did get the the TV adaptation. Oh, okay. Because I've watched a few. My wife was really into it, so I've watched a few mm-hmm. episodes of that. But I actually wasn't aware that it was a uh, comic book. So what's the what's the gist for uh, for listeners who aren't really like familiar? Sure. Well, it's uh, the comic book is pretty different. Um, so, 
basically it kind of takes the the watchmen concept and expands mm. on it and puts into like more of a modern real world atmosphere mm. so of course you've got superheroes but they're corporately sponsored mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're actually like superheroes are, are created by this element um it's like a drug that they take. I'll call mm-hmm. it Element X, just sure, sure, just for for to carry things along. But so like they'll pick people out, or like weird things will happen, and they'd be exposed to this chemical agent. Mm-hmm. And then if they're like picked out, they would be kind of tested and trained to develop superpowers, and mm-hmm. otherwise it would like pop up randomly at some point in their lives mm. to like varying kind of crazy results. Some of it bad, some of it good. But sure. anyway, one of the, the big driving things uh, or one of the big criticisms of, of the writer and creator of this comic book series is that a superhero is never properly trained to deal with like crises or like big dramatic situation. They're just like, average people who all of a sudden <laughs> kind of get this like crazy imbalance with mm-hmm. the rest of the world and they're given like a platform but they're still regular people so they right. all, they tend to screw things up like real the bigger the stakes the worse they <laughs> screw things up and they like kill people now right, on the other right, hand right. you've got they're also propped up by corporate interests who use them as like spokespeople and like major marketing tools. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it's very like modern, like, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's very much like it's meant to be said like today, right? Like in quotation mm-hmm. marks, like present day. Right. Right. But on the other side, so basically all the superheroes are like rock stars, mm-hmm. except they're expected every once in a while to go out and do something legitimate. And they screwed up. <laughs> so they're all like a bunch of degenerate creeps yeah, with like, a you dis- know, Messed up Probably with, trip. like, uh, crazy, like, PTSD and stuff. Right, right. So, and, I mean, they're they're super-powered, so they can, like, stop bullets and fly around. Mm-hmm. So they're a threat to the government. The government sets up their own clandestine group in the comic book. It, it's kind of part of the CIA, mm-hmm. which is not, like, the show. But in, anyway, <laughs> like, they're, they're put in place to, like, keep tabs on the different superhero groups and like go and wreck their day mm-hmm. if they get out of line and try to do anything stupid. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting idea because it's kind of like to, to me it sounds a lot like basically asking the question of like, what if superheroes were real but in our world? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like it's these like very very like uh, okay yeah like corporate interest would be interested in them. You know, we want endorsements and stuff. Well, of course, of course, like Wonder Woman would be on the cover of every magazine, Superman, any variant on that. Yeah, like, uh, so yeah, that's a really interesting, just kind of like taking it, like, uh, I, and I love um, stuff like that, where it's taking this, like, uh, bizarre idea and then saying, okay, what if it was really like that, you Mm -hmm. know, Uh, that's really cool. Um, And yeah, like, I I agree, like, for some reason, so you've read a lot more comic books than I have. but for some reason, like, Superhero Game was some, always just something that, like, 
I never got into. And in some ways I kind of like regret it a little bit. Cause like you said, <laughs> I'm sure there's like a, a lot of like cool stuff you could do. Cause there's nothing else. It's really easy to like make superhero plots. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you there's stuff like that. I, but I guess like the stakes aren't really there. That's why I'd avoid mm-hmm. it. And you are, you know, if you got like a crazy superpower, you have mm-hmm. kind of ready, ready made solutions for that. Yeah, so it becomes this thing. It's like every time there's a Superman movie, they have to come up with some like reason for why he's actually being challenged. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, <laughs> although from what I saw of the, and again, I'm speaking only of the like the couple episodes of the show I've seen, so this may be different. But it felt like uh, the boys is very um, like on the lower end of like superpower abilities. Like a lot of the characters seem their abilities are more modest, more kind of like X Men level than uh, like Superman level. Right. Yeah. So, so maybe that like limit. Like, um, I believe there was an actual X Men RPG. Because um, that would seem like if you have characters who have like kind of like one thing that's their power, I think that makes it like more manageable. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you can shoot lasers with your eyes, that doesn't really help you in like a lot of other situations where shooting eye lasers isn't the solution. Sure. <laughs> um, or if you have characters who are like. Um, um, like all of you characters have like some sort of specific flaw that goes with their power, or mm-hmm. you know whether it's a personality flaw or you know. But if you plug them into this situation, then mm. like it, let's say you had a group of players uh, making a superhero group, but they're also so they're trying to operate within this world of like competing superhero teams. They're trying to carry <laughs> the favor of these big businesses, and the other right. side. You've got the boys, this covert ops group that people kind of know about, and you've got to like not like keep an <laughs> eye on or look over your shoulder to see if the boys are coming after you, or maybe right, you screw right. up and the boys do come after the player character group. So you're it adds, line. yeah, yeah. So like <laughs> it adds this crazy kind of counterbalancing political mm-hmm. element that I don't think like. Or, you know, like, um, <laughs> you start trying to uh, uh, sell out the other group and, like, frame them for something. Like, you, you scoot <laughs> something up, so you try to make it look like it's another team that did it, so they get nailed. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's actually, there's a really interesting um, old White Wolf game um, called, there's actually two games. Uh, one called Aberrant, one called Trinity. And Aberrant had a little bit of that. It had, it has this... I forget what the source is, but people start developing superpowers from like a mutation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they pop up a little place, and um, uh, this was written in the '90s, uh, which was big, you know, like the era of like MTV culture and stuff. So they had the same sort of thing where like uh, uh, aberrants, as they were called, would like get product endorsements and like join like oh. uh, re- wrestling circuits and stuff. <laughs> uh, but it's very, very high powered. Uh, mm-hmm. But one of the interesting things they did was that. Um, the first game in the series was actually set in the future of the setting. It was called Trinity. It was a science fiction game where um, the background to that game was that, like, something like 100 years ago, uh, superheroes mm-hmm. had popped up on the planet and they had, like, muted out of control and they had basically, like, wrecked the whole place. And eventually, like, humanity had managed to, like, drive them off and now they were coming back. And you were playing this breed of, like, engineered psionic characters who were had been assembled to, like, fight them. And then later they then released the game where you got to play as the original superheroes. 
Oh, crazy. <laughs> Before they went bananas. Uh, so that was a really cool thing. Uh, but I only played the sci-fi game, which is more of a... It had, like, undertones of superheroes, um, but it was more just like a... Kind of like... Um, uh, just a science fiction RPG. Yeah, keeping that stuff in check. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was very, like, you would have your team of characters. They would have to, like, get joined up to fight because now these guys were coming back and they were, like, giant mutated monsters and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was more like fighting, like, uh, a kaiju or something. Sure. <laughs> so, um, But, yeah, that sounds like it would make a really good premise, actually. I would not be surprised if somewhere out there there's a licensed RPG or something. Or in development. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, you know. Um, so uh, my second pick uh, is going to be a video game pick. And um, those of you who have followed my uh, writings for uh, Five Parsecs from Home will know that Mass Effect is near and dear to my heart. Uh, and if you have lived on the internet at all uh, this last couple of weeks, you'll know that the Legendary Edition got released, which is like the remaster of the trilogy. So I've been playing that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I will be playing that a lot because um, I think that's it may be the series that I have like played through the most times of like any video game series. Mm. Um, so now I'm not going to like gush about the remaster because it's a remaster. It's the same game, but nicer. Right. That's the point of it. Sure. Uh, but one thing that occurred to me, uh, obviously, like all of Mass Effect would be pretty like cool gaming. Uh, and I'm shocked. This Dragon Age got an RPG, and it was actually really good. So I'm shocked that nobody ever did it with Mass Effect. Um, or like a miniatures game or something. I would have been all over that. Right. Uh, but the one thing that stood out to me was this. So without going into the <laughs> uh, how much of the setting there is. Uh, but in the first game, you keep running into uh, this uh, human terror group called Cerberus, who does like all sorts of like crazy experiments and stuff with like uh, experiment with aliens and they carry terror acts and stuff and you fight them a couple of times and then the second game your character dies that happens in the intro and you get revived and it turns out that the group that revives you is servers the bad guys mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you are then introduced to their motivations their agenda and you basically play the whole game kind of like for the evil team uh, which I thought was really interesting um, because that uh, and something that would be really interesting to do in a um, campaign, uh, but also like really difficult to do, I think. Because uh, the way, so the way the game handles it is that you are one, your character stays like suspicious of servers the whole time. Mm-hmm. It can differ a little bit based on like the options you choose, but throughout most of it, uh, your character Commander Shepard stays like pretty arm's length. From the organization, but you're surrounded with characters who are approachable and likable, who have their own motivations for having joined this like very ruthless and essentially like evil corporation right. or evil organization. You know, uh, you even have a character, uh, Jacob, the ex alliance guy that's part of your initial team, who is very open that he doesn't agree with Cerberus and a lot of things, but he went there because they would get stuff done that was important to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, in the third game, they turn out to be, like, uh, <laughs> super turbo evil. But by then, you're not part of them anymore. Right. Um, so the idea of a campaign where you are essentially on the bad team, but in a way that, like, humanizes it and makes it interesting. Uh, the problem is you have to have a reason for being there, right? Well, I would think that you could kind of set it up as a situation where you the the player character or ers have been 
kind of en- entrapped by mm-hmm. like some sort of criminal syndicate organization. Mm-hmm. So you you have to kind of do their bidding in order to work something, work through the situation to find a way out of it. You know, so mm. you, the player is then compelled to participate in the larger kind of activities of this group. Sure. So you have a reason for being there. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you have uh, what I was thinking was, um, and this is kind of how the the game sets it up as well, is that the organizations that you would rather be part of, so the Alliance and like the Spectres and stuff, are Mm -hmm. basically like not able to do what needs to happen. Like uh, they make a big deal of like the the Alliance, which is the human military, is, is mired down in like hunting pirates and stuff and they've lost too many uh, ships and stuff, so they, they kind of can't go after the big threat, and these sort of legitimate authorities are mired in, you know, um, like bureaucracy and bickering. Right. And, uh, so you can you have this situation where the only people who are doing what needs to happen are also the people who are kind of sketchy. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to actually succeed at this, you're going to have to work with them, but you have to, you know, you have to kind of like... Uh, you know, play your cards close to the chest because they don't necessarily have your best interest in mind either. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, but I think it is also um, it's a tr- tricky, right? Because you have to make you have to make the organization like quote evil, but they can't be so like comic book evil that the player will obviously just like you know try to blow them up, right? Uh, which is very, uh, which can be very difficult, I think. Um, you know, because you can have, I mean, you can have an organization that is very, like, ruthless and cutthroat, uh, mm-hmm. but it's like a fine line with that. Or maybe you have the line up here in play, you know, the longer you go along, like, the worse they get. And at some point, you'll have to decide, like, when it's time to get out or when it's time to, like, uh, switch sides again or something. Sure. Sure. Um, or, I mean, there, it seems like there would be a lot of, like, gray kind of operate morally gray operations or like heists Mm -hmm. and capered situations where there's like a really complex set of like interacting plot points. Uh, Mm. Yeah, I think could be tough to manage. It could. I think you would have to have players who are, you need characters who are very um, like purpose made to fit in the story. Because if yeah. you tr- if you try to do this whole thing and then some dude shows up with uh, his like uh, space cannibal, <laughs> that's just not going to work, right? He's like, "Oh, cool! I work for the bad guys. They let me kill as many people as I want. This is awesome!" <laughs> right? Best no job. nuance whatsoever. Right? Best job ever. <laughs> uh, so that is just going to fall apart. So I think you have to have um, where I think it. What I think you can't do, because when you write a video game, you obviously have the luxury. You can just tell the player what happened. Sure. They can't do anything. <laughs> what are they going to do? Go to work? Don't. Um, but in a campaign, obviously, you know, like the players might well protest and throw dice at you. Um, I've seen <laughs> a lot of times. This is one of those things I think we all like read in a Dragon magazine or in a book somewhere where somebody was like, here's some, a cool way to start your campaign. You have the characters like uh, go to a town and get a quest and then they all get killed by a dragon and then the clerics revive them and now they have to work for them. And that has never resulted in your group appreciating the great campaign you just ran for them. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, That's just going to make people feel like they got a railroad into a bullshit story. Right. Um, in that case, and it's one of those things where, like, you could just start off by saying, okay, we're going to play a campaign while you're working for this church. All right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of pushing people, like, once once people realize that you're trying to force a thing that they don't want, uh, they will do anything in their power to not have to fight this goddamn dragon. Yeah. yeah that's... You know, and then you just, like, poison the whole thing. So I think that is something I don't think you can do in a tabletop game. Not very easily, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be a lot more clever about it. Uh, but part of it so that's a double, like the double challenge, because the reason it works in Mass Effect is because as the player, you have encountered servers before. Like they have killed people you knew and you have like raided their bases and blown them up. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just introduce an organization and then it turns out they're evil later, it doesn't have the same like moral impact, right? Um, so that makes it really challenging to do. And maybe it's a bigger challenge than. Uh, can really like get pulled off a lot of games or a lot of groups, but it would be an interesting thing to do. So maybe something to hold off for like a small game um, or like uh, even a, a one-on-one kind of thing. I don't know. Well, so, it could I, be like brought <clears throat> in kind of like, I mean, as it is in the Mass Effect games where it's like kind of a, a subsection of a mm-hmm. larger campaign. Yeah. <clears throat> I think if the players know they're not stuck there forever, yeah, yeah, that would definitely have to be part of it. You know, or if you're, even if you just make it clear, like, hey, here's kind of where this is going to go. That's not where, like, this isn't, like, the rest of the game. Like, I understand that at some point you're going to want to, like, get away from these dudes. Mm. <clears throat> so you kind of, like, let them, you know, like, some people are really against that kind of thing of, like, spoiling the story or whatever. But I think sometimes it's not, you know, if you just kind of give them a hint, like, okay, like, <laughs> You're not going to, because I think sometimes you're going to get, like, the players will be afraid of, like, oh, is this planned? We're going to, like, work for these guys for the rest of the campaign. And then they're going to be like, okay, maybe we should just, like, go with it. Um, If they know that, like, okay, no, you're not supposed to, like, be stuck here forever if you don't want to, then it it, it would allow them to, like, just role play it, like, the way they ought to. Yeah. Yeah. So... And part of that, or maybe setting up a game where the players know beforehand that they shouldn't be, like, too invested in the characters, and Mm. it should be set up to play through mainly just to see what happens. Yeah, like, um, we've talked about that before, where, like, um, and sometimes it kind of, like, gets denounced as railroading, but I think if everyone is on the same page... I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, hey, we're going to play, like, a pretty specific story, and it's going to be about, like, how you, like, react to it and, like, what you're, you know, like, it's just a different kind of, uh, maybe more of a linear, it's like, you know, some video games are very open world and open-ended, and some are more of, like, a linear experience. Right. So, but yeah, so that was my second thought. Um, A lot less horses. I don't think there's a single horse in all Mass Effect. But <laughs> you do get to like throw a lot of dudes through the air with mind power, so that's pretty cool too. Right. <laughs> Classic. All right. Uh, my second one. I'm thinking. Hmm. Because there, there are kind of like two pieces of media that kind of thematically interrelate. At first, I, I thought of this science fiction book I read that I liked 
quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to grab it so I don't screw it up. Oh, where are you hiding? There it is. Yeah. Uh, the book is called Blind Sight. Okay. It's by a Peter Watts. Doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, it's it's pretty darn like hard science fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, it's more. It has like a. Gosh, it's kind of like a, a story of first contact. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you've got uh, this weird kind of like space phenomena where like a bunch of, I guess, projectiles are like dropped into the atmosphere mm -hmm. of the Earth. And so like before the event, no one knew, no one expected there to be aliens. There was probably research going on. But mm. they, you know, they weren't searching. They weren't, like, interacting. Um, and then they have this, like, major event that's, you know, it's like aliens flying up, shooting fireworks into the atmosphere and being like, surprise, and then taking <laughs> off and disappearing. Right. So this whole thing goes on and, like, the so society kind of has a minor hysterical Oh, right, moment, right, right. like people freak out because like oh the aliens are real holy crap right right <laughs> and that you know a after that kind of abates and settles down like there's there's nothing else that comes after that so it it's not like it's not so like it's a star trek kind of thing it's it's more of like vague and anomalous in a sense mm -hmm. like the you get this sense that the aliens don't they don't interact kind of hmm. in in our frame where it would be like we're going to introduce ourselves and like beam down or land on the planet earth and then come out and try to communicate with some sort of like appendage symbols or light shows or or like music or or whatever um, so there's like that one kind of singular event and then they're just nowhere to be found until <laughs> there's, there's like a kind of, uh, this strange, like large craft that's found that's like slowly entering the orc cloud mm. and they find it because like, any total, I think they have like radio telescopes that mm. they point at. Like any signal they send towards it is just absorbed. It's almost like a minor kind of floating black hole. Mm -hmm. Like it's just okay. a little ominous. Yeah, yeah. So to, I won't like totally go through the whole book, but it it ends up like kind of building up the slow tension. Like, well, that was weird. And then you have, yeah, this ominous object that's not trying to communicate any other, in any other way. And so they put together a team of scientists to go out and figure out what the heck, what the heck this alien life form is doing, what they expect. Mm. Um, and it ends up 
being, you know, like that's foreshadowing, like you never quite get a sense of what, what the aliens want, but mm-hmm. they're definitely like not very f- enigmatic. Right. They're enigmatic and like, they're not friendly. They're like, we're just here. We're doing our stuff. We're kind of mm-hmm. like, and we really want to be left alone, like out on the outer edge of the solar system. Hmm. And of course being the way humans are, we're like, Hey, you showed up. We want to know what's going on. So they're like, <laughs> right. We have questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you came to our front door. So we're going to get the questions, try to get some questions answered. So they like break into like cut a hole into this huge alien kind of monolithic craft. Mm. And they, um, they get like psychically attacked mm. and then like, so it, it turns into more like an aliens kind of thing or really an event horizon situation. Mm-hmm. So, where, <laughs> so things don't go well is what you're saying. Not at all. No. <laughs> and that's, I mean, there's aliens, like everyone knows mm-hmm. and loves that, that storyline, I think, but like, oh, of course. Yeah. But I haven't really played it in games where, where it's like your explorers, that mm-hmm. stumble upon upon like some unique space object that might be alive, but not exactly like what yeah, we consider that's a good, alive. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Like um I played a little bit of like sci-fi games. We played, you know, a few together, but it was always in the context of like, you know, characters dealing with stuff that was like well understood and like established. Right. You know, like, you know, uh, so the idea of like, yeah, like a straight up like aliens or then horizon or uh, uh, what's that movie that's set underwater uh, with sphere? Is that what it was called? Yeah. Yeah. Like stuff like that, where it's like literally like that's what makes those um, movies like that, like so, so effective, even like the original alien, um, even though it's mostly a siege movie, but it still has that like very long buildup of figuring out what's going on and going down to the planet and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that would be super cool. Um, you know, and like you really, I mean, you could do it with any characters, I suppose, but it would almost work best if you're like very much just like ordinary people. Right. I mean, you could be like scientists, and you know, but security guys or whatever, but like just kind of people. <laughs> right. And I you think know. like from the game master perspective, like the weirder they could make the interactions mm-hmm. with whatever like space phenomena or strange craft that you're interacting with, like the better, like mm-hmm. the slower and quieter and kind of creepier things are. And, yeah. And, Cause you want it to feel alien, right? Like you want the players to be at that point where they don't really like, you start not knowing what to expect and you have to start like thinking outside of the, outside the box. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, it's not that long ago because uh, we were watching uh, me and the kid had been watching through original Star Trek and of course after that you gotta like watch all the movies right before you go into TNG right and especially <laughs> like the like the first one uh, which is like this is very weird like Star Trek the motion picture because uh, it has a weird like alien thing like out at the edge of the solar system and it's very sort of like existential and bizarre yeah and like at the end of it, like nothing has actually happened, really. <laughs> um, 
which is very like old original Star Trek sometimes, where it's like half the episodes are like Kirk punching some dude and kissing space girls, and the other half is uh, some like weird existential mumbo jumbo about a <laughs> flying like color in space. <laughs> yeah, and um, they have some sort of philosophical debate. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, but yeah, like uh, just that feeling of like, because um, that's it's funny. Because uh, when you look at like really like pulpy like old science fiction like Buck Rogers and stuff, it was always based on this idea that you could like go to any planet and you would see some crazy shit uh, that you didn't know what to expect. Uh, and we've mm-hmm. kind of like, I think sci-fi has like kind of gone away from that a little bit. Now it's all about you know like these uh, deep like super built-out settings and uh, worlds that you explore. You know, like uh, like I love Dune. I know you do too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, like there's not much. I guess, like, on Iraq, it's just a lot of exploration, but, like, otherwise, it's just, like, you know, massive universe that has existed for thousands of years, right? Well, I, I think the, the strange sort of assumption those types of stories make is that mm. other other life forms are going to build kind of social and political structures up that mm. are relatable to human beings. Yeah. Um, and this and think, creates like a story that that's not that sort of thing at all. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like playing with an alien Rubik's Cube and it might explode in your face and who knows <laughs> what would happen then. Right. Or the aliens are just like completely beyond like um, like what we can like comprehend and like interact with, mm-hmm. uh, which incidentally like makes them feel <clears throat> alien, right? Like uh, if they have motivations that we just that don't make sense or we don't understand them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that would be like super interesting. Uh, definitely like suitable for like, you know, uh, like a slow burn, you know, uh, you gotta have players who are kind of like into like just exploring and finding like weird stuff. That's part, but that's part of it. But building that tension, like mm-hmm. foreshadowing that things probably will go wrong. And it's just a matter of like <laughs> when right. and what. And, like, who knows, maybe it's a living electricity and you have to figure out, like, how to interact <laughs> with the, the situation with right, right. objects or wh- whatever, finding a way to shield yourself from, like, this crazy ener- energies or, like, psychic attacks. Yeah, like or, like, it's some sort of, like, energy form that doesn't comprehend that things can be alive or dead. Yeah. So now you have to interact with it or, you know, yeah, you could go bananas. Um, I think what you would need to do is you would have to like sketch out, like as a GM, you you would have to like sketch out like what the creatures like quote really are to the extent that like, because you want to have like things be consistent enough, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, when the players try something, at some point, you are going to want them to be able to, like, start piecing together an incomplete picture of what is happening, at least, so they can start acting and interacting with the thing or running away from it or blowing up the ship or whatever. Um, So it has to be consistent enough, but without, like, giving away, like, they just figure out, like, oh, okay, it's the Borg. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, or maybe they do figure it out at the end and you can, like, they can go to the final battle or whatever. I don't know. Mm Uh, but yeah, I think you would have to like plan it out like pretty well in advance. Like mm-hmm. what the, what these things are, what is their agenda as far as like, or what is <laughs> as far as it concerns the meat sacks that are going to be running away in the spaceship. Like, <laughs> what is the agenda? You know, like cool. if all you know, like they want to get to the sun and fly their ship inside it. Uh, 
why we don't know and the people might never find out but it's probably bad <laughs> you know so yeah um but yeah that would be really cool uh and definitely a way of like um like uh cashing in on like a lot of like uh cool like science fiction movies and novels and stuff because it's so much just like atmosphere like space in itself is kind of like weird and alien and horrifying when you like think about it so you oh. get to like and you have the classic formula for any like horror scenario is that a your characters are confined in a uh, relatively small location and b there's nowhere to go sure i mean i have no <laughs> idea what it is that that's messing with the the ship and the crew so right exactly you know you can go i mean you could go you could be very like visceral and you know like aliens or starship troopers or you could be completely like out there with crazy stuff or go full like event horizon where it's like literally hell or whatever right <laughs> space demons um yeah. or you can go like full doom where it's space demons but you get to shoot them <laughs> you know so yeah that's a really cool idea and that's a book that i'm definitely gonna pick up i was just looking up on uh, wikipedia while you were talking it sounds super cool um so my last pick kind of uh, jumps off on that, but in instead of being like really weird, it gets in a way kind of mundane, but also not. Um, so on uh, Apple TV Plus, uh, we were watching this um, documentary movie uh, by uh, Werner Herzog, the like German guy with the really cool voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, called Fireball: Visitors from Darker Worlds, and it's all about like meteors and meteorites, and specifically like places on Earth. <clears throat> where meteorites have struck and basically it's just this sequence of him like going and interviewing people who are so like one of them is like this giant crater in I think Australia and he goes mm. and talks to these uh, like aboriginal people who are have built like they create all these like really elaborate paintings and they have like old folklore from like thousands of years ago around this crater because they live there like the crater has always been there. Right. So he talks to them. Then he goes to talk to like a guy in like modern day like Norway who collects like microscopic meteorites from like the roof of like a sports stadium and he looks at the microscope. So it's just all these different people whose lives all in some way are connected to like these like things dropping from the sky and hitting around the world and how they all like interact with in different ways. You know, some of them are very like heavy on folklore, some of them are tied into history, some of them are very like scientific. Cool. Um, so it's really cool and interesting. It has this like very like surreal, like uh, almost uh, dreamlike quality that his stuff usually does. Uh, so it's well worth watching in general. Um, but it got me thinking, and this is going to sound really like banal, uh, but I don't know that I've ever played in the game where like a meteor strike happened. <laughs> you know? Uh, or like, um, so. To grab a snippet of history, because listeners know that I'm a history nerd. Um, when uh, William the Conqueror invaded England in 1066, uh, one of the sort of events that got written down by a lot was that they saw a shooting star. Historians think it's a comet because they calculated mm -hmm. out like, I forget if it's Halley's Comet, but a specific comet would have been visible in the sky mm -hmm. at that time. And it was taken as, of course, an omen, you know, a victory. And then, right. He turned out to win, so it worked out pretty well. Um, but, 
you know, like stuff like that happens all the time. In the documentary they mentioned, uh, and uh, would be Austrian emperor who like proclaims his victory because there's a meteor strike like outside the castle that he is staying at, and he goes on to like dominate the Austrian Empire. <laughs> uh, so things like that happens all the time in history, uh, but they don't tend to show up in games. Whether it's like a meteor impact or like a like a phenomenon in the sky, you know, like the evil overlord proclaims like his. 10,000 year rule and you see like a, a black comet that shoots across the sky and like you know like just stuff like that um and it got me thinking like it'd be really cool to like add things like that because that's you know like those things happened or like solar eclipses and stuff when people didn't understand them or um just a strange phenomenon seeing like a meteor shower like a meteor breaks up in the sky and you see like you know like thousands of shooting stars like what would that look like to people who live in the world where there's like magic and like gods exist and stuff okay yeah like mixing in wild astronomical events with the, mm-hmm. the world of sorcery yeah exactly like what would it mean to them like mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that's where like demons come from like an asteroid like crashes into the atmosphere and when it breaks up like the demon is let out so, you, so now you have like go out to the crater and hunt it mm. so or just yeah like omens and like premonitions and stuff like if you have uh if you have wizards would they be the one doing like astronomy and stuff or uh yeah. like have a game where like astrology is real like that's the underpinning for magic <laughs> so like uh if uh aquarius is in ascension or whatever um you get a bonus to your spells Huh. Yeah, or, or like seeing the the aurora borealis come up at like a weird place at a weird time. Yeah, like that's how you could enter like the kingdom of the elves or something. Oh, yeah. You know, like I guess that's kind of tied back into like the fairy tale thing, but it could be anything. You know, um, while I can only take like small quantities of it, I do have a little bit of fascination with uh, game worlds where magic is viewed more practically. Hmm. Um, so if it's based on like actual phenomenon that like exists and are observable uh that would be sort of interesting to me um well what if it was set up where like you have an event an astronomical event that would trigger like a, a period of time in which like magical powers are heightened for everybody so it's almost it could be a kind <laughs> of celebration or just like kind mm-hmm. of a dangerous omen where it's like oh man all the crazy wizards are going to be coming out to like wreak havoc right yeah that would be really cool or if you had it where um like normally you just have your wizards who can cast they have like rules and regulations because they've mm-hmm. all the wizards have figured all the wizards have figured out like you know a thousand years ago when they almost like wiped each other out in a big war they figured out that there's like certain rules about how you use magic and what you do and don't do and that's right. kept the peace but now when you know like the star of blah 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 is in the sky and it's gonna do a thing suddenly like it'll cause like uh you know like 25 percent of the population across the world to develop magic hmm. but they don't have all of those like rules and regulations they weren't there a thousand years ago when the, the wizard war happened or whatever uh so now like all hell is about to break loose because she's suddenly have a bunch of bozos who can like <laughs> summon demons and turn people into stone Right. <laughs> <laughs> so now you have to, like, deal with that. or I don't know. That would be pretty wild, but it would be kind of interesting, you know. Just, like, yeah, I guess it ties into, like, you know, like, um, natural phenomenon. 
like in every kind of like mythology and stuff, you always find like people trying to explain like things they saw in the world as part of like the gods or the magical world around them. So why not do that for fantasy games? If that's how people in our world thought things worked, you know, like they, mm-hmm. they didn't understand what like a earthquake was. So they came up with an explanation or they didn't understand what thunder was. So it was Thor riding in his cart, right? Sure. <laughs> you know, so why not make that actually the case? Um, like, Garantha is kind of like that uh, in a lot of ways. You know, like, the sun goes down because at some point the sun was killed. And when he was revived, um, the agreement was he still has to spend half his life in the underworld. So that's right. why the sun, go- sun goes down at night. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, like, embrace, you know, like, more stuff like that. Um, tie tie the magic, tie the, the whole world into, like, natural phenomenon and you know, that would be really cool. Maybe it's something that needs to be done on like a, a setting writing kind of thing. Like you're developing yeah, yeah. But it, that could be a really neat way to kick off an adventure or mm-hmm. like set up premises and like interactions with ma- major NPCs. Like they mm-hmm. get a premonition from like some sort of crazy event. So. Yeah, or like you have uh, like the, the court wizard figures out that like this specific phenomenon is going to happen in 100 days. And right. when it does, that probably means something bad. So we need to do XXX. Right. Uh, so now you have like a time limit to like go like gank the evil villain or get the get the thing or get rid of the thing or whatever. Yeah, totally. totally. You know, like if if the evil villain has the sort of shenanigans and is holding up aloft on this hill on this particular day when the, the sky is blue, then that's bad. <laughs> so now you gotta like get the sword and like go get rid of it, <clears throat> or just go j- stab him with the sword. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Solutions present themselves. So, but yeah, so that's my my last um, my last option. Um, so, yeah, I mean that's fa- fantasy astronomy, which yeah, is different yeah. from astrology, but <laughs> it doesn't have to be. <laughs> It's an interesting way to tie tie different things together or or mm-hmm. use use like worldly events that we don't normally consider in gaming to drive things, which is yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah, which is funny because like anyone who's like a, a student of like mythology would <laughs> uh, but who doesn't have experience with gaming would have come to that like naturally, right? Because that's just like how how mythological constructs work oh, yeah. in folklore. So it's one of those things where like sometimes we like forget things and we have to like reinvent them. Um, <laughs> which I guess goes back to what I said at the beginning about like sometimes it's good to like look outside of like uh, of gaming stuff or fantasy stuff to like find find inspiration. Um, For sure. You know, and fine. yeah, it's kind of like I think part of it, a bit of what we're doing here is like stirring the pot looking for other kind of ideas and places to get ideas uh, from for for new gaming. Yeah, and just like, yeah, for sure. And, you know, just like uh, avoid being stagnant, you know. Like, yeah. We've all played our fill of, like, dungeons with 10 by 10 foot rooms with one orc and a treasure chest. <laughs> you know, like, what if the orc had to go to work? Sure, sure. Or, or the mighty Dragon's Lance 3.0 kind of variant. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, at some point, you know, like, let's stop and ask, like, uh, is there something more to, to all of this we could be doing, and would it be cool? Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. 
so yeah um that's kind of what i have yeah yeah same here so yeah uh go out and think outside the box and bring in like weird unique events to drive new situations in your game and yeah, get weird. I think that's kind of the overall thing, like, uh, for everything we pulled out tonight is, like, uh, you know, like, get outside the comfort zone a little bit, but also, like, don't be afraid of having, like, a little bit of whimsy. Uh, like, even if the whimsy is dark, you know, you're dealing with a, a frightening alien entity. Um, or, you know, the whimsy is fun and lighthearted. You're dealing with a talking badger who's a wizard. Right. Like, <laughs> like either way, you know, but do stuff that's maybe a bit less predictable and throw, throw people out there a little bit. So yeah, that's, I think that's our conclusion. Um, then I suppose there's nothing less, but to, uh, wish everyone a, uh, a pleasant week until we talk to you again and hope everyone stays safe and comfortable. Yeah.